the book of 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter. And this sermon is kind of a, I guess you could call it a spin-off sermon. Uh, I preached at Vestavia several weeks ago and uh, had a particular subject on my mind. And uh, the more I've thought about it, the more some more thoughts have come to mind that are uh, somewhat related or I guess kind of born from that topic that I wanted to share with you tonight. And I want to take a verse out of 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, and in the 13th verse is the one I want to look at first. And it says this, And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. Uh, there are three things that are, that are mentioned that are very important to a child of God. And uh, they're, they're things that we would consider treasures that the Lord has given us. And they're faith, hope, and charity. And he mentions those three things, and he says that they are abiding now. They exist right now, and they're things that we can hold dear and exercise those things now in this life. But it goes on and says that one of those three is greater than the other two. And it's interesting to me that when you go back to the first part of 1 Corinthians, and you begin to read through that, and, and that's really the, the, the first part of 1 Corinthians 13 is what I spoke mostly on at uh, uh, Vestavia, but I do, you know, I wanted to, one of the things that I pointed through there is speaking of charity, if you were ranking faith, hope, and charity, uh, which for some of you little ones, charity is just um, another way of, uh, in a very simple way, and I know it's a little deeper than this, but in a simple way, charity is love, uh, specifically an active love, not just a spoken love, but love that produces you to do things that uh, express that love. And so when I spoke of Vestavia, I, I mentioned, and I'll read you a few verses here in verse one. And, and I love the way that this is written, the language of the King James Bible. This is such a beautiful passage, the way that Paul writes it. And he says, though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not charity, I'm become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And he says, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long, is kind, it envieth not. It vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, it doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, and he goes on and says, is not easily provoked, and thinketh no evil, and he goes on and on and on, and he says, charity never faileth. Now, I've heard preachers mention to it, mention this before, one of the reasons that charity uh, is considered to be the greatest is not only does charity continue on after our faith and hope have ceased, but charity was also before faith and hope, before the foundation of the world, before anybody ever took the breath of life there was charity in the heart and mind of God to set his love on a people and we realize that when we die uh, that we will no longer need our faith and we will no longer need hope which we'll look at here in just a little bit but the charity that we have will continue on so uh, that's one of the reasons charity is the greatest but from just a human standpoint you have to really ask yourself if charity is the greatest of faith, hope, and charity, do I really value uh, charity to the level that it deserves? Do I really try to exercise charity 
to the level that it deserves because of the way that I presented it at Vestavia is I said if we were uh, let's just say that we were at an auction right now and I'm the auctioneer and all of you are uh, out there as spectators and you're going to bid on some things. Everybody's probably seen examples of that, uh, how that works. The guy gets up there and he starts talking really fast, which I never really understood. Like, you know, when you're spending money, don't you want a guy that's talking really clear? You know, it's never made sense to me. The auctioneer should be the most clearest, most understood person, most articulate person before I raise my hand to bid on something. But they're talking so fast. But they get up there and they may, uh, you know, bring up, a, you know, maybe you're at a cattle auction. They run some cows through here or you're at an art auction or different types of things. Well, let's just say that I was at an auction and, and we were at auction and I was the auctioneer. And the first item up for bid was the ability to speak with the tongues of men and of angels. All right. Now, you probably get a little bit, hey, I'd like to have that, you know. I think I may bid on that. The time, how much do you think that's worth? You start asking people, you think that's worth to speak with? I, I could leave out here speaking with the tongues of men and angels. And, and you get excited about it, and that's something you'd love to be able to do. And then the next one, it says, what uh, up for bid now? We've got the gift of prophecy. How wonderful. I guarantee you that that would get some hands going up, and the bid would get higher and higher and higher and higher. What, what if next was up understanding all mysteries? We probably have outbid uh, speaking with the tongues of men and angels, and we probably outbid the gift of prophecy to understand all mysteries. And it gets better to have all knowledge. And then it goes even further. If I, I tried to auction off all faith, look at this now. You, you would be like, golly, I want all of these things, but I can't afford but a few, but I want, I want to be able to understand all mysteries. Another person says, I want all knowledge. Another person says, I would love to be able to have all faith that I could move or remove mountains. And he goes on and on there, and you begin to see how much we value those things. Now, those things are great. They're great. I wish that I could speak with the tongues of men and angels. I wish that I had all knowledge. And Well, I don't know if I really do or not. That's probably a double-edged sword. But to understand all mysteries and to have all faith, I wish I had those things. Those are wonderful things from the Lord. But if next up on the auction block we said charity, chances are you say, all right, here we got charity, $500. All right, anybody give me $400. How about $300? I doubt charity would be one that people bid on very high because number one it doesn't sound as cool it does not sound as cool as speaking with the tongues of men and angels but the bible tells us here out of all the things that paul lists here the speaking with the tongues of men and angels with the gift of understanding all mysteries all knowledge having all faith that you can move mountains out of all of those things the most valuable thing that you could possibly auction off that day is charity. Charity is the one that should bring the highest price because it's the most valuable. It says, abide now abide with faith, hope, and charity. These three, but the greatest of these is charity. Now, think about how powerful faith is. I hope that you are exercising your faith because the Bible tells us Faith is something that can wax and wane. There, it can be very high some days and very low some days. You see, uh, there are times that uh, you know when Peter stepped out of the boat to come to the Lord. Peter took that step out on faith. That's what he was exercising, and his faith 
if you can picture faith being an actual person, it is a strong, you know, muscled up faith that Peter has at this moment. But in an instant, that faith goes from very high to very, very low. That faith dropped. We saw last Sunday the same thing with Elijah. He goes from a very high faith to a very low faith. And you will find that be, being the pattern throughout the Bible of God's people being very high on faith and very low on faith. Uh, think about Peter. I'm, I'm ready to, you know, to die at the hands of the servants for, for the sake of the Lord. And the next day or so, I'm not even willing to admit that I know it. David is willing to go out and face the giant with stones, you know, and shortly after he's running for his life from King Saul. So our faith waxes and wanes, but faith is a powerful thing. I went through the Bible this afternoon and I just, I found four different instances in the Bible where Jesus himself specifically says that a person's faith is the reason that they experienced something very miraculous. Uh, and I don't want to go through all of those things, but actually I found five of them. Uh, if you remember the woman with the issue of blood, which we've talked about many times, uh, who spent all her money and had gone to all the doctors, and the Bible tells us after she had, uh, I think it was 12 years that she had that issue, that after 12 years she'd spent all her money, seen all her doctors, and the Bible says she was not any better, but was actually worse. And so she um, crawls through a very crowded um, uh, group of people that are trying to get to Jesus and she crawls through there and barely touches the hem of his garment. And you know the exchange there that the Lord felt virtue go out of him and he knew someone had touched him and he turns around and here's this woman just kind of probably crouched down and, 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 and trembling uh, because the Lord has turned and, and looked at her. And one of the things he says to her is thy faith hath made thee whole. Now, it's very clear to see to this woman, if nothing else, faith was a really big deal. You know, um, the more people that I, that I meet and get to and talk to and the more examples I have, maybe coming through the office or something, just chit-chatting with people, you know, chronic disease is a, is a terrible thing. Uh, and it, uh, you can just tell people that are in chronic pain or have some sort of you know, long-term illness that they deal with can be very taxing on you mentally. And it can also be very taxing on those people around you that are in that circle that are helping you bear that burden. And so I can imagine with this woman, which I preached to you before, based on the Jewish law, because of her issue with blood, she was basically outcast. She, could, she was considered unclean, could not you know, really touch anything or sit on anything without it being unclean. So she just went from probably a happy-go-lucky life to just being an outcast and isolated. And not only now she outcast and isolated, she's broke. And she's hopeless and she has nothing. So what is it that flipped? Obviously, it was, it was the power and the virtue of the Lord Jesus Christ. But what did she exercise to get her delivered from all of that? It was faith, right? So... If there's something greater than faith, according to 1 Corinthians 13, that's something I want to look into. You can also find, uh, you know, if you remember the Syrophoenician woman whose daughter was, uh, the Bible says, grievously vexed with the devil. 
She goes to the Lord and the Lord delivers uh, that child from the possession of that demonic spirit. And he says to her, thy faith has saved thee. Uh, we see him tell blind Bartimaeus the same thing, a man that was blind. We see him tell uh, a leper that it's your faith that has made you whole because these people are people that came to Jesus needing something from him that nobody else could provide and they were at their wit's end and they were hopeless. And so 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13, does, is not in any way talking about faith not being of any value because these people clearly, clearly their faith was something that was special to them and their faith being exercised took them from a low state to a higher state of healing. And, and we've probably all experienced that to some degree uh, or another where we have a certain measure of faith and we see that it is, uh, it, it, I guess I could say it this way, it reaps a benefit to us, not in a selfish way, but we see how exercising a faith can, uh, can do that for a child of God. I would say, that anytime you have walked, come down and asked for a home in the church, you're taking those steps on faith. On faith in what? On faith that everything that you're hearing these preachers preach up here is true, that the Word of God is true and preserved. That's a step of faith. And I think we can all say that that exercise of faith or going into the baptistry back here takes you to a higher spiritual ground when you do those things. So we all can agree that faith gives us some measure of value, but the next thing he talks about is hope. And if you flip over to Romans for just a second, the 8th chapter. Romans, the 8th chapter, verse 24, it says this. <clears throat> it says that we are set, for we are saved by hope. And it says, but hope that is not, hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for what for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. So the Bible speaks about a hope here. And this hope specifically uh, is not a wishing, but is an earnest expectation of something that is going to happen that we, by faith, believe is going to happen. Now, if you, uh, I'm going to flip over here for just a second because I don't think I can quote it good enough to do it justice. But in Job... The 19th chapter. Now I want you to remember that Job at this point, you know, there's, there's some belief that Job was one of the first books of the Bible that was actually penned and written. Uh, Job does not have uh, the gospel. Job has, uh, has not uh, experienced the birth, death, or resurrection of Christ. Uh, Job lives hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before Christ ever came in the flesh. So, to, to, if you had a time machine to transport back in time and to talk to some of these people in the Old Testament and to present to them a gospel that we have today probably would be a little bit confusing to them because they are, have not experienced. Now, they saw those things. They saw the shadows of those things. And as the Bible says, they saw through a glass darkly the promises that God had made. But they, don't, they did not have near the clear picture that we have of it. Yet, Job says, even, you know, even though he's suffering, he says, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. Now here, that makes good sense. 
if I go to the hospital in 2023 and there's a child of God laying there that's been born again but never has really heard the gospel and I present the gospel and the salvation by grace and I present the death, burial, and resurrection to give this brother some hope, it makes sense for him to say, oh, I see, I know my Redeemer lives and I know that even though this cancer or whatever is destroying my body, that in my flesh I'm going to see God. That makes sense. But Job didn't have that gospel. But still, the Spirit of God that is dwelling inside of him reassured him and gave him a hope, an earnest expectation that death was not the end of it for a child of God. So is hope a powerful thing? Absolutely. What about uh, Peter? If you, We already mentioned Peter earlier. Um, Peter, who has taught, he has actually taken the Lord probably by the shoulders taken the Lord and said uh, basically said they're going to have to kill me in order to kill you um, and I will go with you to the end and he stood before the soldiers and, and pulled out his sword and, and cut off the high priest servant Malchus uh, ear and to defend the Lord and he went, he went into the heat of battle with the Lord and they take the Lord and again like I said just a few short hours later he is cursing. He is using language that would have been bleeped out on any decent television and saying, I don't even know who this is. Now, and then the Lord dies. And so for three days, Peter is going to be carrying around a heavy, heavy sorrow. This man that I love so much that I, I basically gave an oath to that I will give my life for you. I will never turn my back on you. He betrayed the Lord in that sense and the Lord knew he did that and Peter never got a chance to go back and to love him and to hug him and to say, I am so sorry, I, my flesh is weak. And the Bible tells us uh, that Peter writes that the Lord has begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection and see when the lord was resurrected it brought a special hope to all of god's people because the bible tells us that if he lives then we will live with him if death could not hold him death will not hold us so you ask peter peter is hope a powerful thing job is hope a powerful thing yes absolutely yes the bible even tells us in hebrews that 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 hope is the anchor for our soul now, um, that'd be a good sermon one day about anchors, you know. Um, there's a lot of things in this life that we can experience that just have a way of blowing you down the river like a small boat in a windstorm. When I was growing up, I, uh, I had um, a little tiny aluminum boat. We lived close to Lake Tuscaloosa and I had a little tiny aluminum boat, still have it. And um, I called it the tin can because it was just kind of a tiny little boat. And I've every single day, my neighbor allowed me to keep it at his pier. And every single day that I did not have something to, else to do, I would get in that boat and I would go fish. I mean, that was all the time, just running up and down the lake all over the place. And there were several times that I had been out there and got caught in uh, really bad storms. I, I, did, I had sense enough to run a boat and go fish, but I didn't have sense enough to say, ah, I probably need to get out of this storm. And I can remember a couple of times that the wind would be blowing so hard the water would be white capping and it would just be blowing me all the way across the lake and no my trolling motor wouldn't hold me in place and 
uh, you know, my dad had made a couple anchors. And, um, you know, there were times when the wind was blowing me, I could throw those anchors out and they'd sink to the bottom. And they would somewhat hold me in the places that I needed to be. And life is a lot like that. There are times that my spiritual mind is right where it needs to be until some event or some conversation or something comes along and starts to blow me out of that right spiritual mindset. And I've got to have some sort of anchor. That's what happened to Peter. Peter's sitting there and he's, he's talking to all these people like, hey, you were with Jesus of Galilee, weren't you? And we're fixing to crucify him. Why don't we go ahead and crucify you too? That's probably what Peter was thinking. That's the winds of the world. And Peter needed an anchor for his soul. And the anchor for our soul, Job needed the anchor for the soul to say, golly, what, what I've got here is rotting and decaying in my very presence. I need some sort of anchor. And that anchor is the hope that this life is not all there is. And the Bible, Paul says, if in this life only we have hope in Jesus Christ, we are of all men most miserable. See, our hope is now, sure. Our hope is that the Lord will go before us as we evangelize. Our hope is the Lord will go and bless the preacher before he preaches. Our hope is that the Lord will go before uh, the song service and lift up the voices. Our, our hope is in the Lord now, but if that's the only hope we have in Christ, then we're miserable because hope is a powerful thing. So <clears throat> again, we will not need that hope because it says we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope for what a man seeth. Why doth he yet hope for? You see, you ask, you ask the Syrophoenician woman, the woman with the issue of blood, blind Bartimaeus, you ask the lepers, you ask all those people in the Bible whose faith saved them, is faith powerful? Is it great? They would, a resounding yes. If you said, Job, is hope, did hope do something for you? Peter, did hope do something for you? They would say a resounding yes. It kept me out of the miry pits of worry and fear and doubt and misery thinking that this life was all there is. But yet the Bible tells us that charity is greater than all of those things. If you were sitting down and talk to all those people and they'd be like, oh, yes, hope is so great. It delivered me in many ways. And my faith is so great. It delivered me in many ways. And then you look at them and say, well, there's something greater than that. I would want to know what that was. And the Bible tells us what that is. The Bible tells us that's charity. That is love and action. Now, one of the reasons that was on my mind is. Um, I told the folks at Vestavia, my own personal study that I, I like to watch people, I like to observe. Yeah, I mean, you don't need television if you'll just watch people for a while. They're very entertaining. Watch yourself for a while, too. But one of the observations that I've made, and I don't, I don't say this uh, to, you know, to be comedic or anything like that, is that I've noticed that people in general are getting meaner, than I've ever noticed them being. They're getting more unreasonable, more impatient, uh, more entitled than I've ever seen them. And I thought, well, that's probably just me, you know. And I began to ask, uh, because, like for example, at the office, used to be I would have to handle uh, maybe a, a, a disgruntled patient maybe once or twice a year. Maybe. Um, and usually those are the type of people, they could walk through the door and you can hand them a $100 bill and they'd gripe because you didn't give them 200 But it had gotten to be where, I, was like, I came home and told Tiffany one day, I said, I, I used to have to, to deal with these things once or twice a year. Now it seems to be, 
you know, once or twice or more a month or maybe a week. People and I, and I told her, I said, I said, something is going on. And so I began to ask some of my colleagues. I asked some people in other businesses that deal with uh, the, the public a lot. And I asked them, say, listen, I don't want to sound crazy, but have you noticed an increase in how mean and unreasonable and ornery people are lately? And you would not believe, uh, as, as best I can remember, 100% of the people that I talked to gave a resounding yes. That it is an actual noticeable, almost tangible thing to see that people are getting much more difficult to deal with. And I thought and thought and thought and thought about that. And I was like, I don't know, what, what's causing that? And uh, I, I thought, you know, and I don't mean this funny, but, you know, we blame everything on COVID. And I thought, maybe it's COVID. Maybe COVID did something to people and in their brains and it, it messed them up and they just, you know, maybe that's what it is. And, and I just kind of racked my brain because it was grieving me. It was literally grieving me how often I was running into people like this. And then the Lord brought a verse to my mind just out of the blue one day and it just, it cleared it up for me like that. And it's when, I believe it's in the book of Matthew, when the Bible says, um, Iniqu uh, I see, uh, the love of many will grow cold because iniquity will abound. Now I'm paraphrasing that. It may say because iniquity shall abound, the love of many will wax cold. And what that tells us there is charity or love and sin do not coexist very well with each other. And we talk a lot about grace and works. Grace and works, they cannot coexist with one another at all. It's either one or the other. But when you have sin and you have charity or love in action, the higher sin goes, the more iniquity, the lower the love measure is. Does that make sense? That's what the Lord's telling us. And I thought a lot about that. And listen, there are... There is not an island far enough away or a cave deep enough for you to go live in forever isolated and alone and get away from sin. You can't do it. You know, I, I told the folks at Vestavia, you know, I, I watched a little documentary on a guy one time uh, who was a diesel mechanic and, uh, for a long time, and he just got burnt out on it, on it all, and he said, you know what, I'm, just, I'm tired of the rat race, I'm tired of this, and he went and he built a cabin in Alaska, isolated from everybody and he lived there 30 something years and died when he was you know well on into his 80s and I thought yeah you know he he got away from a lot of stuff in life but he never would get away from sin but even though you can get way out there you can never escape sin you can sure get away from some things that feed your flesh you understand that because look I look at Facebook just like everybody else probably does. And, and you know, occasionally I'll look at this news, you know, not very often, but those are breeding grounds for your flesh just to feed and feed and feed and feed. All right, this, this is a garden where your spirit can eat. But typically the things we expose ourselves to are places that our flesh will eat. Now, I'm not saying there's not some good spiritual things on Facebook, but don't kid yourself. Most of those get scrolled right by and you go look for the funny video. You know, we're all human. I understand that. 
But look, you start scrolling through social media, the, your jealousy will quickly find somewhere to eat. Your anger, your pride will find somewhere very quickly, they will find a table to pull a chair up to and eat. And I think one of the reasons that love has grown so cold is because we're so exposed to things that feed our flesh. And, and listen, the, the churches, the, the sermons, this is just my own personal opinion, and I would say not, not based just on denominations, preaching probably has the least impact now than I, than I suspect it has in a long time. It, it is hard to get... Uh, through to people sometimes. It is hard to get people to listen. It's hard to get people to change. And I'm not talking about y'all. I'm just saying when you're out talking to the general public, people do not value church. People don't value reading God's word, but they value things that feed their flesh. And so what happens is the iniquity abounds and the love grows cold. Well, here's the, here's the bad part about that. Is charity is greater then faith and charity is greater than hope. And charity ought to be something that we are exercising. Look, if you want big muscles, go to the gym, pick up heavy stuff over and over and over and over and over, and eventually you'll be a lot stronger than you are. Charity is the same way. You must exercise charity just like you exercise faith because charity can be high, then it can be low, high, then low, and you've got to exercise those things. So what is charity? And I think I made some, I probably hurt some people's feelings at Vestavia when I said this, but I'll say it again. Charity is not how you feel about your grandbabies. You understand? That's an easy love. Charity is not how you feel about your children. Those things are great, and that is a true, pure sense of love, but that's not the definition of charity. Because the Bible says in Luke 6.32, if, if you love them which love you, what thank have you? For even sinners also love those that love them. You see, while it is wonderful to love your spouse, your children, your friends, your grandchildren, it is wonderful to do those things. That is not the measuring stick of what charity is. You understand? Because the Bible says even sinners love their grandchildren. Even sinners love their children. Even sinners love blah, blah, blah. There's a greater love than just loving them. And what is that? The Bible says, if you think about it, when uh, in 1 John it says, Herein is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us. And think about that for a second. And, and, you know, it's not, it's not that surprising and it's not that big a deal that one of God's born-again children would love Him. Why wouldn't you love Him? What is not to love about Him? And even in the smallest of His blessings, we're blessed beyond what we deserve. So it's not surprising that a born-again child of God would love the Lord, but it's shocking that He would love us. Because it says here in His love, not that we loved Him. That's not the true definition of love. Not that we loved him, but that he loved us. Now we're starting to whittle it down to see what true charity looks like. And the Bible says, behold, what manner of love is this? How great of a love is this that we should be called the sons of God, sons and children of God, sons and daughters of God, children of God. What manner of love is that? That is a great love, right? That's a tremendous love that he would love us. Now, 
The Bible says that he's kind to the unthankful and he's kind to the evil. Now, let me read you this right here as I get ready to close. In Ezekiel, the 16th chapter, let me read this to you for just a second. What if, you know, every now and then out here, we'll be out after church. Everybody's running and playing around. Uh, uh, an old stray dog runs up, you, ever, you know, a couple times. Kids are like, oh, stray dog, you know, pet it and all that stuff. Parents are probably like, eh, I don't know about that. But we all run to it. Let me ask you this. What if after church today, we're all out visiting the fellowship of the kids and running around. What if one of the kids comes running in and says, hey, we found a baby lying out in the flower bed that somebody abandoned and it doesn't have any clothes it's dirty it's filthy it's 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 frankly it's hard to look at it's not a very pretty baby something's wrong with it maybe it's deformed or something like that and it smells there's not a soul in here that wouldn't be try to be the first one out there to scoop that baby up wash it off, tend to it, and love it. Am I right? I hope that there's nobody in here that would say, like they would the dogs. There's a, there's, there would be a love there and a compassion there. But notice this. And say, thus saith the Lord God unto Jerusalem, thy birth and thy nativity is in the land of Canaan. Thy father was an Amorite, thy mother was a Hittite. Notice this. As for thy nativity, in the day thou wast born, thy navel was not cut, neither was thou washed in water to supple thee. Thou wast not salted at all, nor swaddled at all. None I pitied thee to do any of these unto thee, to have compassion unto thee, but thou wast cast out in the open field to the loathing of thy person in the day thou wast born. Now, that's the picture I just painted. And the picture here is that nobody passed by and had compassion on that child. Well, listen, that child is a picture of God's people without him. And it says, when I passed by thee and saw thee polluted in thine own blood, I said unto thee, when thou wast in thy blood, live. Yea, I said unto thee, when thou wast in thy blood, live. I have caused thee to multiply as the bud of the field, and thou hast increased and waxen great. He goes on and says, now listen to this. Now when I passed by thee and looked upon thee, behold, thy time was the time of love. Thy time was the time of charity. Thy time was a time when there was nothing about you that was appealing to me. But for charity's sake, for love's sake, I reached out my hand and I took you and it says, and I spread my skirt over thee and I covered thy nakedness. It says, I washed thee with water and I anointed thee with oil. I clothed thee with broidered work and shod thee with badger skin and he, I girded thee about with fine linen. And he goes on and says, and thou did prosper into a kingdom. Now I want you to think about that. It is no, love is not that we love the Lord. Love is that He loved us. And He saw us in that state 
and still in his compassion and for the sake of love made us his people. Now, I say that to say this. The Bible says, love your enemies. Do good to those that uh, curse you and despitefully use you. That is when the rubber meets the road. That is true charity because the Bible says it's not that big a deal to love the people that love you back. But where the true measure of charity comes is when you love somebody that really is not lovable. Because in that state that we were in, we were not lovable. But the Lord chose to love us. Now, the Bible says, uh, Paul writes, he says, I pray that you may increase and abound in your love one towards another. How many times did Jesus say a new commandment I give you that you love one another? I hope that we all have a great measure of faith. I hope that we all have great measures of hope that will sustain us and help push through this life until we die or, we, or the Lord comes and gets us. But more than those things, if we can only reach out and take one of the three, I pray that we would all have a heart to take on charity because our world is in desperate need of it. We are in a famine of charity where there's not a lot of it floating around. We are very much in an eye for an eye type society where, uh, you know, you do me wrong, I burn you down and, and you, you say this about me, I try to destroy you. Very much, there's very, I, I personally, outside the walls of church, when I just get out of, there's very little charity. There's very little, I don't like the way you're doing things. I don't like this. I don't like that. But I'm going to love you for the sake of charity anyway. And I'm going to bite my tongue and I'm going to do good to you and I'm going to pray for you. And even though maybe you're my enemy, you're cursing me and you're despitefully using me. If every single person walked with the cloak of charity to that measure, can you imagine how much better our days would be while we journey on this earth? It would be great. The wicked are always going to lay in wait and try to stir up strife and try to stir up trouble. But God's people of all people ought to be overflowing with charity. And I'll be honest with you, there's times that I struggle with it. There's a time I'm a victim of somebody's lack of charity and there's a time somebody's a victim of my lack of charity. But going back to now abideth these three, faith, hope, and charity, and the greatest of these is charity. I hope that tonight, through the Word of God, we've shed a little bit more light on just how valuable charity is. And if we actually had an auction and charity came time, it came time to bid on charity, that some hands would start going up and we would see the price go higher and higher and higher, which would show how much we valued it in our eyes. So I hope that that's been profitable to you.